Welcome to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, presented by the Institute for Biblical Worship at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. That's right, I said the Doxology and Theology Podcast, a podcast for worship leaders who know that the gospel is so good, it has to be sung. I'm your host, Matthew Westerholm, Associate Professor for Church Music and Worship at Southern Seminary and the Executive Director for the Institute for Biblical Worship. On today's episode, we are dipping into our worship resources to bring you a clip by Pastor Daniel Renstrom. Daniel is the worship pastor at the church at Brook Hills in Birmingham, Alabama. In this clip taken from our 2021 conference, Pastor Daniel Renstrom talks about building a culture of worship. I'm thankful to get to talk about this topic. It's a it's a topic that I love to think about. I love reading about and, and talking about. I talk about this kind of stuff with, with my team, uh, with my worship leading friends, uh, because I think it's really, really important. I, I know that when I was just starting out, uh, I went to seminary at Southeastern and started serving at a church that I was really happy to start leading worship, but really didn't have an idea of what I was ever trying to accomplish. Um, what what are the the cultural things that I hope happen through my leadership in uh, worship leading and uh, and so it's been over the years that I've kind of accumulated some of the things that I'm going to talk about today the things that are now for me just massive values and they're they're cultural values and and so I want to talk just for a moment before we dive into these about thinking about what does it even mean to have a culture you know Peter Drucker. Uh, has that famous quote about uh, culture. He says that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I love that quote uh, because I think it kind of tells us something really important about a list like this. I'm going to give you seven things here in just a minute. But if if it just stays on this piece of paper, if you, you, know, you print all your values, your cultural values, and you put them up on a wall and they just stay there and they never really make their way into the, the bloodstream, the DNA, the conversations uh, weekly that you're having or even on Sundays that you're having, then it's never really going to affect any change. And that's what he's saying. He's saying that the things that actually make their way into conversations and you actually talk about all the time, those are the things that are the real cultural values. And those are the things that are going to be operational within your organization or in our case, in, in our church. And so I want to encourage you as we're thinking about this um, to, to think about not just putting them on pieces of paper and saying, okay, now I have a strategy for the culture of worship, but actually taking these things and using them, talking about them all the time. Um, and, and it might be that you are at a church with, that already has an existing um, stated cultural values. All of those things are kind of already already put in place. And I hope that today what you hear is maybe a new way of, of saying something, a fresh way of saying something that's already a value. And then there also might be a group of people that are, are like, maybe you're involved in a church plant, or maybe you're a student at Boyce or Southern or wherever, and you're kind of like I was years ago, and just trying to think, okay, what am I, how do I construct a philosophy 
of what my the culture of worship should look like in the church. I hope that both groups of people, I hope both of you, hear something today that's going to be helpful. So I'm going to give you these seven things uh, that for me are the, the ways that I like thinking about the culture that I want to build in, in our church here at, at Brook Hills. So the first one is telling the gospel story should be our highest priority each week. Telling the gospel story should be our highest priority each week. And I want to give you just a phrase to think about when when you think about giving away the gospel each week. And it's this, that the gospel is life-creating and life-giving. The gospel is life-creating and life-giving. So what do I mean by that? Well, it's for basically what I'm trying to get at there is that we give the gospel away for non-Christians and for Christians. It's not just a message for non-Christians. It's also for Christians. And I'll get to that in just a moment. But just think for a moment about what it says in, in Romans. Romans 1.16 and Romans 7. It says, Romans 1.16, you know these verses, um, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Romans 7 reminds us that, that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, through, through the word of God. What's, what's Paul saying there? He's, he's reminding us that we give away the gospel because it is the most powerful thing that can change, that actually saves sinners. Like, so your, your, uh, your songs and your lights and lasers and haze and, and your emphatic words, your awesome leadership, those things are just never going to get in at a heart level and change anybody that has been opposed to the gospel, keeping the gospel at arm's length. Only the clarity of the gospel, the gospel clearly delivered, explained, and understood, that's going to be the thing that changes people. And so that reminds us, every single week, we don't want the gospel message to be obscured in any way. And so one thing I'm not saying here is that you just get up every week and you do it the same way, like you just maybe read it out, like this is what the gospel is, so that we're really clear, and then you move on to your other stuff. No, what I'm saying is, Figure out new ways, fresh ways, helpful ways to explain it and clarify it. Put it in your songs. Put it in your exhortations, in your readings. Uh, talk about how it, it's a part of your, your liturgy or your, your rhythms or whatever. So it's, it's life-changing, but it's also life-giving. It's for the Christian as well. And think about what it says in 1 Corinthians 2. When Paul is talking to the church at Corinth and he comes to them, he says, I decided that I wasn't going to know anything among you other than Christ and him crucified. Well, we know from reading that that book, 1 Corinthians, he has lots of things to talk about. He's going to talk about marriage. He's going to talk about ethics. He's going to talk about all kinds of things. So it's not as if he has nothing else to talk about other than the gospel. What he's saying is that the gospel is, is upstream from all those things. The gospel clearly explained and understood helps all those other things make sense. And so what we want to do as leaders is give it away to your Christians. Help them remember and re-remember and rehearse and understand and value and treasure. you All, all those things, you want that to happen in your gatherings each week. Um, okay, number two is our gatherings should be filled and fueled with the word of God. Our gatherings should be filled and fueled with the Word of God. Man, I wish we had so much more time to talk about this because I think it's such an important thing to, to think about and think about how we do it. But I just want to give you one example of how that 
value, that stated value makes its way into our gatherings each week. One of the rhythms I like, and I do this probably three-ish times a month, is before we sing a song, I will talk about why we're going to sing it, why I think it's important, what I think we uh, we learn from singing the song and kind of taking it in. But then before we even do that, then I will I'll, I'll say I want us to read about this in the Word of God, and so we'll read about it in the Word. I've just talked about it, and then we sing about it. And the reason I'm doing that is that I want people to understand. That, that I have no authority. The song has no authority. My exhortation has no authority if it isn't completely connected to the word of God. And when you do that, you're helping people understand, man, what I, I'm, I'm helping Colossians 3 happen in my heart this morning. The word of Christ is dwelling more richly in me by singing this song when you connect it to uh, seeing it in the word of God. I want us also, though, to just think for a moment about wordless worship and how the Lord has really strong words for Israel in their wordless worship. Listen to what it says in Jeremiah 6. For they have paid no attention to my words. They have rejected my instruction. What used to me is frankincense from Sheba or sweet came from a distant land. Your burnt offerings are not acceptable. Your sacrifices do not please me. What, what's the Lord saying there? Well, he's saying that I don't want all of these other, the, the show of worship, the show of a sacrifice and you bringing in something that from the outside looks really valuable. He's saying, you know what's really valuable to me? That you listen to my word that my instruction matters to you. I think all of us need to take that warning and really take that in. Are our gatherings filled up with the word of God? And then are they filled as the most important thing, the engine kind of just running stuff? Is it the word of God? Okay, number three, excellence is important because distractions can divert our attention. Excellence is important because distractions can divert our attention. You know, I think 1 Corinthians 14 shows us, tells us something really important, and it's that intelligible worship is meaningful worship. Intelligible worship is meaningful worship. Think about the scene described in 1 Corinthians 14. Paul comes in and he says, okay, you, you enter into worship and everybody's got a song, everybody's got a word, everybody's got a tongue, and when outsiders come in, they're like, what is happening in here? This makes no sense at all. And so Paul says, look, you need to have order. Things need to start making sense. And I think he's saying that for, for this reason. So think about these, these three things. Gospel in, impact is downstream from gospel clarity. And gospel clarity is always downstream from environmental clarity. And so what do I mean by that? If, if you come in and the, the lyrics are always wrong on a piece of paper up on the screen, or you haven't practiced any of the chords, or nothing you're saying is making sense, people are going to be thinking about those wonky things happening, and they're not going to be thinking about what you're saying or the message that you hope to communicate. It, those are going to be the distractions that keep the, the message from the gospel really going into the heart and really making change. But this is also true, okay? Sometimes it's not just the things that we did not plan for that happen. You know, sometimes it's the things that we did plan that weren't very clear. Like we're, we're saying some things and it's like, man, what is that guy, that gal? What are they talking about? It's not very clear. We're trying to say things 
artistically interesting, but maybe they're not super clear. This is, so this is the, the question for us. We want to, or not the question, but uh, the thing that we want to make sure that we're thinking about all the time is what I'm saying, is there an environment of clarity? And then am, am I saying things in such a way that the gospel can have an impact so that it's taken in and treasured? So three things towards that end, I want to encourage you towards to plan, prepare, and evaluate. Uh, plan out what you're going to say. For me, one of the ways that this shows up is that I, I try to write down, or I do write down every word that I plan on saying in our worship gathering. And I don't take a piece of paper up and read it or even an iPad or anything like that. I just write it all down and I try my best to memorize it, put it put it to memory so that I, I know that when I talk that I'm going to have something that I planned on saying. But then I also prepare those things. You know, I, I'm going over it. I'm reading over it over and over again. I'm practicing the songs. I'm encouraging the people that lead with us to prepare and, and, and practice the songs. Um, all of the things for uh, the, the tech things that happen that we're trying to make sure that those are prepared really well and they're, they're planned really well so that uh, when we lead that we don't have all of these distractions. So there, distractions are going to happen. I, we all get that. But we try to minimize them because we want to have this maximum impact on a Sunday morning. The only thing that people are thinking about is the message and not about the all the crazy things that, that just happened. Uh, the third one is evaluate. I would just encourage you to have a rhythm of evaluate your gather, evaluating your gatherings. Just go backwards, even if it's for a little bit of time, and talk about what was said, um, all of the different elements. Were they clear? Could they, they have been even more clear? So, okay, that's number three. Number four, uh, we should lead songs that will sustain and not just entertain. We should lead songs that will sustain and not just entertain. You know, something interesting uh, about worship in the New Testament is that we don't have loads and loads of, of instruction about what a worship gathering should look like. But we do know one thing, and it shows up in, not one thing, but among other things, this one's really clear. Colossians 3, 16, you, you've heard this. It says, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs making music in your heart to God, with thankfulness in your heart to God, something like that. What we do know with so much clarity is that the word of God clearly delivered to the saints should be a part of every single gathering. And so I want to just encourage you to not choose songs that you'll sing just based on the CCLI top 50 or, or even what you think is going to be most entertaining or kind of move the needle in people. What you want to do is, is put songs before your people that you know will sustain them for the long haul. Now, what I'm not saying here is just choose the densest songs that you can find, and those are the only ones you want to sing. Sometimes simple songs help sustain Christians. So you, you need to, I know this is so subjective, and I'm not giving you a lot here, but I just want to encourage you, think through that category of sustaining, not just entertaining. Okay, number five, we want our gatherings to be characterized by light and heat. We want our, our gatherings to be characterized by light and heat. So I'm, taping, I'm taking that uh, phrase from Jonathan Edwards. And Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon to a guy that was being ordained, and he was encouraging him that when you preach, um, that you need to have light and heat. And what he means by that is this, 
that you light is that the truthfulness it's illuminated that when uh, when you talk about some some truth from God's word that it is it's light but then also there's also heat with what you are giving uh, the, the light that you are giving that there's zeal connected to it that you're kind of helping people see I believe this and you should too I, I like to think about it like grabbing people by the shirt and pulling them closer in in a way you're not really doing that but you're grabbing them and you're going. I believe this. You believe this. This is a true thing, and it needs to get down to a zeal level, a passion level to uh, for you as well. Uh, I, I like thinking about uh, passion in turn in those terms because you know a lot of people talk about how when you're leading that um, you you're trying to think about what you look like when you lead or how you lead, and I I sometimes push back against a performance mentality. In leading worship. I don't want that to be the case for the, the people that serve on our worship teams. But what I do want to say to them is that we want to lead with light and heat. We want there to be truthfulness, but then connected to the truthfulness, we want uh, we want to be energized by what we're talking about. We want to we want to care about it. There to be zeal and passion connected to to the to the light. So it's it's light and it's heat. Uh, number six is Prayer reminds us that we are weak, but God is strong. I was just thinking this past week. So again, prayer reminds us that we are weak, but God is strong. I was thinking this past week about how when we pray in our worship gatherings, we are just asking God for these massive things. And it reminds us that we are not a self-sustaining people, that we are a needy people. That we come to God with our hands open like this, each, each gathering, and we say, God, please move. So we do this in a missional way. So it, it's pretty typical for at our church just to pray for people groups and other churches and evangelism needs and just praying like, God, will you move in the people of Turkey? Will you move in, in Asia, in the Middle East? Will you get in and make stony hearts soft towards the gospel? Will you uh, send the gospel through through missionaries, through workers, uh, just think about what a massive thing you're praying there, that God would do that work, that only God can accomplish that. And when we pray prayers like that, we're reminding our people over and over again, every single Sunday, that we are not self-sustaining. We're not a self-sustaining people. We're a needy people, and we're asking God to, to get in and work. There, there's another reason, though, that uh, I think this is important. One of my mentors years ago encouraged me to think about uh, worship gatherings as group discipleship. Now, I love that term and I think about it now a whole lot. It's group discipleship because a lot of people don't know how to pray. They don't, you know, they think, man, I, I pray, I'm a Christian, but I pray like less than five minutes a, a week. How do I pray? What do I say when I do pray? Well, when we pray in our gatherings, it's helping disciple them towards what prayer should look like in their life. It's putting words on their lips so that they can go off and pray in their own personal times in worship, which are really important. That's a, a cultural value. Okay, last thing, number seven. It's this, that uh, we want our songs to be as emotionally broad as the ones in the Bible. We want our songs to be as emotionally broad as the ones in the Bible. You know, you might, so you might be thinking, okay, what, is this really a cultural value? Well, I, I just want to encourage you to think about how so many people, when they come into our gatherings, they think that God only wants one emotional response from them, and that is celebration, rejoicing. 
And, and a lot of people think that until I can get there, until I'm ready to praise God in that way, that I'm just ready to blow the lid off of this and I'm just ready to celebrate and rejoice, that I can't really come into worship or they don't really feel like they have something to say because they're struggling. They, they feel depressed. They feel in despair. They're in a pit. And I just want to encourage you to think about how emotionally broad the songs of the Bible are. Think about the Psalms. There is lament and, and there is comfort for weary. There, there are so many songs that express a, a downcast soul. And we want to sing songs. We want to put words on the lips of our people that help them express a sadness, maybe not staying there, like we want to express trust in the Lord, but we want to also say, acknowledge that this is where I am. I think about a song that we sing at our church. It's a song called Psalm 130. Um, it's I think it's called I Will Wait For You. It was written, I'm pretty sure, by Matt Merker and, uh, and Devin Coughlin. I think it was Devin Coughlin, uh, or maybe it's the other Coughlin. One of the Coughlins <laughs> wrote this song. And I love this song. Our church loves this song because it, it puts words of sadness and heartache and despair on our lips. But then also it leads us to say, even, even though, God, even though those things are true, I will wait for your word to come to my heart and re-energize me, lead me to love you. And it's so important for us to, uh, to put words like that, songs like that on the lips of our people. So I wanna encourage you, go out and find songs like that, emotionally broad songs, not just the ones that are connected to celebration and rejoicing, but songs that help us express lots of emotions that we find in, in the Bible. That is a hard place to stop, but if you'd like to hear more, please go to our website, biblicalworship.com. Click around to find the word podcast, and you can find show notes for season two. We're happy to share with you all that we have for free. That is what we have for you this time on the Doxology and Theology podcast. Our show is produced by Evan Jarms, engineered by Isaiah Small and Caleb Sherwood. The music is by our good friends at Murphy DX. Until next time, this is Dr. Matthew Westerholm reminding you that the gospel is so good, it has to be sung. Peace be with you.